did not disappoint. It was really cool to see all the Christmas decorations. It was really amazing. Um, if I were going to kind of point to just one complaint at, at all, other than the crowds and the money um, that it costs, uh, I, I would say it was unseasonably warm, even for Florida. Uh, we had one day in particular uh, that was uh, almost 90 degrees. And it is just weird for two people that, uh, well, all of us, uh, our whole family, born and raised in the Midwest, love a snowy Christmas, love a cold Christmas, a little bit irritated about yesterday, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, uh, my sinuses were as well. Uh, so, uh, but it was just weird walking around celebrating Christmas when it's almost 90 degrees two of the days. And uh, we've been in this series where we're looking at Christmas all around us, and we've looked at the Philippines and Japan and the Midwest and Bethlehem on Christmas Eve. And now we wanted to do a quick take on kind of warmer climates. We wanted to look at Christmas in Australia, uh, where it is Christmas is a summer holiday there, right? It's a place where the dominant image of Christmas is Santa on a surfboard. Um, and you can kind of do a quick search of it and see some of the pictures. The Christmas meal is often food produced from your garden uh, or a picnic on the beach. It is just a different experience there. And if you have your Bibles, you can open them up uh, to Luke 2. And I mentioned last week, uh, but in the Midwest, our hope and our expectation is that there will be snow on Christmas. Today is the day it all ends. Today is the day where Midwesterners hate snow now. Yesterday, we loved the idea of it. Today, we hate it now, right? We despise it, and any snow that happens now, there will be a lot of posts from people in this church, I hate snow. You live in Illinois, I'm sorry. You, you live in Illinois. And this, this is where the tide begins to turn, where we no longer hope for snow, but instead we hope for spring and we hope for summer. And you kind of got it yesterday, so I don't know what we're all upset about, but... Uh, I thought today, uh, December 26th, would be a good day to talk about hope uh, in the context of warmer climates and talk about hope and hope's relationship to our faith because faith, as we're going to discover uh, in this text, hope and faith are, are different things. They're, they're connected, but they're different. And we can actually find this uh, in the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2. Uh, so let me read this for you. When the time uh, for the purification rites required by the law of Moses uh, came, Joseph and Mary uh, took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As, is, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon who was righteous and devout he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the, what, uh, the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. I'm ready, Lord, right? For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory for your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, the child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will uh, be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. 
Now there was a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old, rude, but she was, all right? Um, she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Uh, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town in Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. And you can keep your finger in this text. I want to provide quite a bit of background uh, to what is going on here, because I think it will be helpful for us to understand uh, the text. But the entire Old Testament was pointing to this day when the Savior and the Messiah would come and the world would know him. Now, the Old Testament gave some detail, but not a ton of detail on what the Savior and the Messiah would do when he came. And so it kind of allowed people to fill in the blanks a little bit with expectation and hope that this is what I believe the Savior and Messiah will do when he comes. And different groups believe different things. So there's one group, uh, they were the Zealots. Uh, they were political, right? They recorded Fox News and CNN a lot on their DVD players, uh, DVR players. Uh, they, they just were political. And they envisioned, when they thought about the Savior and Messiah, they envisioned a political leader that was going to come onto the scene and was going to drive Rome, who was occupying Israel at the time, out of their community, they envisioned a leader who would ignite a political revolution, start a war, and deliver justice to Rome. And so you can imagine when Jesus happens onto the scene and he starts preaching these sermons that are like, hey, here's God's word for you today. I want you to love your enemies. The zealots were like, this is not what I came to church for, Jesus. Right? You are to love your enemies. You are to turn the other cheek. When a Roman soldier forces you to go with him one mile, voluntarily go with him two. And Jesus starts preaching this stuff and the zealots are like, no, 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 no. This is not what the Savior would do. This is not what the Messiah would do. If he forces you to go one mile, go with him two. No, we're going to ignite a war, Jesus. We're going to put together an army. This is going to be revolutionary. And Jesus started talking and they were just, if I can be blunt, they were underwhelmed by the message of Jesus. You then had another group, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they were the religious leaders of their day, and their expectations of the Savior and the Messiah was that he would be a religious Savior, and that he would restore the Jewish religion and the Jewish people to a place of prominence in the world. And so Jesus started preaching, and he would say things like, you have heard that it was said by Moses, and they're like, yes, and amen. Preach, Jesus, preach. And then he says, but I tell you, and you could have heard a pin drop, I guarantee it. Not only did Jesus begin to preach like that, but he would also break certain traditions that they held dear in regards to the Sabbath and food and all sorts of stuff. Uh, even beyond that, Jesus had a habit of gathering people uh, around him that were not part of what we'll call the religious elite. And even beyond that, Jesus had this pesky habit of calling the Pharisees and the Sadducees out for their wicked heart. He says, I would like to preach a sermon to you today entitled, You Whitewashed Tombs. Pretty on the outside, ugly on the inside. I would like to preach a message to you called, You Brood of Vipers. Invite all your friends, it's gonna be a great service. <laughs> you Brood of Vipers, right? 
And, and Jesus had a habit of doing this. And can I just say, bluntly, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were, well, they were underwhelmed by Jesus. And then you had other uh, folks, folks like you and me, just regular people, that they came to identify Jesus as what I would call a functional savior, that when Jesus was healing the sick, crowds and crowds. When he was feeding the 5,000, crowds and crowds and crowds of people. When he was doing miracles, just tons of people. And then sometimes there came a, a point where the crowds were so massive, and the text says they were pressing in on Jesus to the point where he would get in a boat and have to go out from shore just so he could get a breath and just so he could preach. But the minute the miracle stopped, the minute he didn't heal someone, the minute he had a hard teaching that made people uncomfortable, the, the crowds began to disperse. As a matter of fact, many people believe that the turning point in Jesus' ministry was a sermon uh, that Jesus preached in Luke 22 to the masses, and he said, if you continue to follow me, here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna be mistreated, you're gonna be persecuted, and you will be hated because of me. You are dismissed. Go tell all your friends, right? And the crowds dispersed, and they became underwhelmed. The zealots, the religious leaders, and the people, they all missed who he was and what he wanted to do, and they were all somehow disappointed by Jesus. Why? It's pretty simple. The person Jesus was as Savior and Messiah didn't match up with their hope and their expectations of what a Messiah and what a Savior should do and be. What they expected him to do and be was not who, what he did and who he was, and we've all felt that way, haven't we? 2020? 2021, where we have just these expectations of Jesus, of what we expect him to do, that we expect him, maybe there was a time in your life where you expected him to heal your body or heal the body of someone you love, or you expected him to bring wholeness and healing to your marriage, or you expected him to prosper you financially. And when those expectations and those hopes didn't match the decision that he made, the same thing happened to you and the same thing happened to me that happened to the people of Jesus' day. We get angry. Now they got irrationally angry, didn't they? You maybe had a little pity party or you know, get, stepped away for a few years or whatever. They got angry. They plotted, they schemed, they planned for the perfect moment when they could kill him. Why? At the end of the day, he wasn't the savior and messiah they expected him to be. And when your expectations and your hope don't match up with his promises, what he actually promised to do and be, it always leads to anger and it always leads to disappointment. It's just true. One of the reasons I love this story of Simeon and Levi, or Simeon and Anna, excuse me, is that one of, they are one of the few people in the narrative of the story that actually identify Jesus for who he is. They actually see the Messiah that he came to be. And I love it because as you read their song and statements of joy, you will quickly see that their expectations match the promises of God. Unlike the zealots, unlike the Pharisees and Sadducees, unlike the people, their expectations were aligned with what God had promised the coming Savior would do and be. Here's what I mean by that. They expected Jesus to do and be what Jesus promised he would do and be. And in that place, if we can ever get there, as we enter into a new year, in that place, there's a lot of joy when your hope and your expectations match his promises. 
That's a place of joy, hope, and peace. It was for Simeon and Anna. So I want to show you what exactly, when they see this baby, what they expected him to do and be. I want to show you three quick things. They don't all start with the same letter. I've been back from sabbatical for a long time. So no more cutesy outlines. But, but I, want to, I want to show you what they saw in Jesus, because this is who Jesus promised to be. Verse 25, they expected him to be the consolation. The idea of the consolation happened back in the Old Testament when the people were forced to live in captivity and God told them that he would send them the consolation of Israel. So they believed that God would send a Messiah, God would send a savior to console them in all their troubles. They understood that the promise, and this is important, the promise was not that God would deliver them from all of their troubles. The promise was that God would console them in all of their troubles. As a matter of fact, if I could be blunt about it, Jesus actually promised the direct opposite of, of that. that uh, Jesus said one time that in this world you will have trouble. So Jesus actually promises trouble, but somehow we want to make Jesus into this person that promised he would deliver us from every trouble. And he just never promised it. He actually promised the opposite, that in this world you will have trouble, but he goes on to say, take heart, I have overcome the world. The promise from Jesus isn't deliverance from every trouble. The promise is that in Jesus and in his kindness and mercy, he would console us in all of our troubles. Jesus actually so believed in this idea that before he left earth, he said to his followers, I'm leaving you right now, I'm going back to the Father, but I'm gonna send you a Holy Spirit, a comforter. And part of the Holy Spirit's job is that he will comfort you in all your troubles. This has been my experience, has it been yours? Since I gave my life to Jesus at the age of 10, the last, (coughs) fine, 35 years, um, (laughs) the last 35 years, not everything's gone my way, Not everything's been easy. There's been lots and lots of challenges. The last 35 years have not been easy street. I don't expect the next 35 years to be easy street. But in everything, I've had a consoler helping me, comforting me, being with me every step of the way. And that is not a nothing promise. That is an incredible promise. So don't make the mistake of believing that in this life, the promise is that you will be delivered from every problem. The promise of the next life is that you will be delivered from every problem. Right? Jesus said that someday he's going to return with fire in his eyes and a sword in his mouth. He's not coming as a baby. Amen? He's coming as a warrior. And he's going to defeat sin and death and Satan forever. And in that moment, he will take us to a new city that he's been preparing since he left this place. He will take us to that new city and we will be delivered from every trouble. There will be no more sin or death or disease. That is the old order of things. That is the promise of the next life. The promise of this life is you'll have a consoler. So don't expect from Jesus deliverance from every single problem but he will be your consoler, your helper, and your friend. Verse 30, they expected him to be a savior. Right? From the time of Genesis on, the world had been looking for a savior, for someone to come in and forgive sin and help people get right with God because they'd been separated from him from their sin. And the entire story of the Old Testament is about 
teaching people, the Old Testament stories, how to teach people how to make themselves right with God. Sacrifice this. Go to this temple. Pray this prayer. Offer this offering. And in the New Testament, the story shifts a little bit. It doesn't change. It shifts. And Jesus comes as that lamb to make us right. So Jesus becomes the sacrifice. He becomes the offering. He becomes the answer to the prayer. He becomes the connector for us back to our Heavenly Father so that we could find our way back to God. And that is an incredible thing to expect from Jesus. That he will forgive your sin. That he will connect you to the Father so that you can have the relationship with him that you were created to have. Those of you that attend Northwest a lot, you know that I've been one to rail against the prosperity gospel a little bit, and today is no uh, exception to that. The idea is so prevalent to that, that if you give your life to Jesus, that he's going to make you rich and wealthy and powerful and famous and all that stuff, and it's just not true. But in addition to that, you know what that theology does? It undermines God. The gem of the gospel, the gem of the gospel is that you get Jesus, and you get God, You get to know him and worship him and receive joy, hope, and peace from him. He is the gem of the gospel, and it belittles him to say, man, give your life to the gospel and you'll get rich? What riches do we need other than God? That you'll get famous? No, he's famous. We need to know him. That that you will receive wealth upon wealth? No, he is our wealth. He is the reward, and he is enough. So this is what you can expect from Jesus when you put your hope and your faith and your trust in him. You can expect him to forgive your sin and connect you to God in this life and in the next. And I would never cheapen that by standing here and saying, man, give your life to Christ, especially as we're approaching the new year, and he'll give you some inside track to Bitcoin, right? You'll get rich. No. With Jesus, you get God. And that makes you more rich than any person with money. Finally, they expected him to address their hearts. Look at verse 35. Jesus came, and this is uncomfortable. Jesus came so that the thoughts of many would be revealed. Don't go read my thoughts, Jesus, right? I love this idea, and here's why. Simeon was teaching that Jesus had this very amazing gift because he was God of showing people and demonstrating to people the condition of their hearts. And this is why, as you study the narrative of Jesus, why people started to get pretty irritated with him and mad at him because nobody likes to have their heart revealed. They wanted him, Jesus, just build an army. We'll get Rome out of here. Jesus, uh, build a better temple. Jesus, heal some people. But whatever you do, Jesus, don't mess with my heart. And Jesus had a way of messing with hearts. It made them angry. So January 9th here, we're going to start a new series, uh, that um, origin story. It's the next chapter of origin origin story. We've titled it Antihero. We're going to be studying Jacob. And uh, I was really struggling with what to title this, uh, what to title this particular series. And I was at a preaching retreat that I go on. I said, I'm preaching January uh, to Easter. We're doing the next chapter of origin story. We're we're going to be doing uh, Jacob. And one of my friends just made an offhanded comment that settled into my mind really, really hard. He said, I think Jacob has got to be one of the most unlikable characters in all the Bible. And I started to think about it. And I said, that character Jacob in the Old Testament, 
You, you, you won't find him to be very likable when we start the series. He steals from his brother. He tricks his brother. He gets his. He's a grabber. Right? He, he, does, he does all of that stuff. He's kind of an anti-hero. And as we read the story of Jacob, we're going to talk about this the very first week of the series. I think in our culture, Jacob in that story would have been canceled. People would be like, we're done with this dude. Right? He stole from his family. He lied. He cheated. He did all this stuff. Jacob, hashtag canceled. You know what God does? He keeps coming for Jacob. Shaping him helping him become a better person, making him new. And Jacob, as we're going to study, Jacob would have saved himself a lot of pain and misery if he would have submitted to God and been changed. He's like, no, 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 you're not going to take care of me, God. I got to get mine. And God's like, here we go again. Have fun working for Laban for another seven years, right? Right? (laughs) You've got to learn the lesson. But God, our culture cancels. God keeps coming and coming and coming. He's shaping us. He's challenging us. He's making us new. And if you're a Jacob like I am, that should really, really give you a lot of joy and peace. That God keeps coming and coming and coming. If you've been hurt by a Jacob, it probably irritates you. But the truth of the matter is most of us are Jacob. I almost named the series that. You are Jacob. I didn't think it would attract a lot of crowds, <laughs> right? But, but, it's, but it really is true. We, can, we cancel, God shapes, and God forms, and God makes us new. And that is a really beautiful part of the story. So Jesus says to the person that keeps blowing up their relationships, say, here's what it is, man. You, you've got anger in your heart says to the person struggling to stay pure, this is what's going on. You've got lust embedded in there. He says to the person with spending problems, it's not just a spending, you've got greed. And he would say to the person that's angry and bitter, he would say to them, this is not just a self-control issue or a behavior issue. You have a heart issue and that is good news, isn't it? It is because here's what Jesus would say, I would like to take up residence in your heart. And I would like to begin to change your heart and make it new. The way the text says it is, Jesus says, I'm going to like take a sword and I'm going to pierce your heart. And the imagery is that of a surgeon, right? There's two ways to be cut. There's the way to be attacked, right? You can be attacked and cut. The other way is for a surgeon to cut you and to cut out what doesn't need to be there and replace it with the stuff that should be. Jesus is like a surgeon. It's not a hack job, right? He's like a surgeon. He comes in and he carefully cuts. He says, oh, I see some anger there. Let me replace it with grace. I see some greed there. Let me replace it with generosity. I see some lust there. Let me replace it with purity. So Jesus says, would you invite me in? I want to begin to pierce your heart and make it new this new year. So here's my question on the screen. Do your expectations of Jesus align with the promises of Jesus? It is the only way, I am convinced of this, it is the only way to find joy in your relationship with him because when they don't match, when our hope and expectations don't match up, we become disillusioned and upset. But when they do, when when they do, there is joy, hope, and peace. So do your expectations align with his promises? He's promised to be your consoler, 
He's promised to be your savior. He's promised to address your heart and make it new. Those are his promises. So here's what I would say to you. Don't confuse hope and faith. Hope and faith, they are connected to each other, but they are different things. So here's what I would say to you. In terms of hope, as we're entering the new year, this is the time of hope, right? The next, the next uh, week or so, uh, we'll think more about hope, what we hope for the new year uh, than at probably any other time of, of the year. You know, we hope to exercise more. By February 1st, we realize it's over, right? <laughs> that, that, you know, that, that's just the truth, right? So this is the time of hope. And here's what I would say to you. Hope for whatever you want to hope for. Within reason, right? We want to hope within the context of God's character. Other times, our, otherwise, our hope is a waste of time. Right, because God's not going to work against his own character. So it's like, man, God, you know, I, I hope that you'll help me make this evil, terrible decision. God's like, um, hope for whatever you want, but I'm not doing that. Right? I'm not doing that. That would be bad for you. So hope for whatever you want within reason, within the context of his character. If in the new year you'd really like a new job, hope for a new job. Or you're unmarried and you're hoping for a spouse, hope for that. Or you're hoping to have children, hope for that. You want a new house, hope for that. You can hope that God does any of that. Pray for him to work. Hope that he is big enough to change your circumstances and to change my circumstances in the new year is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Never stop having hope. Have hope because he is able, he can, and here's what hope says. He might. He might. So hope for whatever you, within context of his character, have hope. It's a good thing. But when it comes to your faith, that's hope. When it comes to your faith and your belief, let your faith rest in his promises. The most disappointed people I've ever met when it comes to God are people who confused hope and faith. And they hoped God would do something and they ended up being a faith thing for them that God is going to do this, although God never actually promised to do it. And when God chose a different way or a different path, they got angry. The most joyful people I know though are people for whom their faith rests hard in the things God actually promised. Not that he would deliver, deliver me from my troubles, but that he would be a consoler to me in my time of trouble. He'd be my savior. He'd forgive my sin and connect me back to God. That he would address my heart and make it new. You can even expand it. That he would empower us and help us to live uh, his way. That someday he will return and he will uh, kill off sin and death and disease and all of that stuff. To have our expectations aligned with his promises. That is where there's lots and lots of joy. So in this season of hope, please, 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 don't hear me knocking hope. Hope is a powerful good thing that God is big enough and strong enough that he can change your circumstances in a moment. He is able, he can, and he might. But in terms of what your faith rests on, let it be his actual promises, what he clearly told you he would do. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his promises. I hit on three or four today, but there's dozens and dozens and dozens that we could have talked about. Um, so I just pray right now, uh, as we're getting done with a, a couple of tough years, um, the, and, and maybe uh, your actions didn't align with our expectations, and there are people in this room that are a little bit disillusioned 
or angry or bitter. I just pray that we would remember today that hope is a good thing, but we want our faith to rest in your promises. And so right now, we're gonna allow our faith to just rest in you and what you promised you would do. We're grateful for you as a consoler, as a friend, as a forgiver. We're grateful. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. We're gonna receive communion uh, right now where we can remember his promises. He forgives our sin. He's a friend to us. He forgives our sin in this life and the next. He's our consoler. Communion uh, echoes all of those things. And so we wanna, we wanna remember the work that Jesus did. We'll pass out communion here. Uh, you can hold on to the two cups uh, for a few minutes and just thank God for his promises. Thank Jesus for the fulfillment of those promises. And then I'll hop, hop back up here uh, in just a moment and uh, we'll receive communion together as a church family. His body given for you. His blood poured out. It represents... This moment represents his promises that we can lean into and trust and never really lose hope because of what he's promised, that he is with us and helping us and um, someday things will change in an instant, but we are not alone. Uh, He's with us every step of the way. Um, Next Sunday, uh, January 2nd, uh, will be a little bit different. Uh, Worship team's gonna play their set and Scott and I are gonna uh, team preach next Sunday. We'll both be on the stage. And uh, yeah, there you go. (laughs) And uh, um, we're gonna be kind of talking about reflections of 2021. And uh, we've got that all planned out and it'll be kind of conversational and a little bit different, but I think helpful. We did uh, last year uh, via video. Uh, We weren't uh, meeting live uh, back then uh, over New Year's, but we'll uh, have a conversation. And then January 9th, uh, we're going to be starting uh, anti-hero Jacob, uh, and uh, you know you can kind of rest assured that you won't like him in the beginning, but we're going to see God shape a person uh, and make a person new. Uh, the tagline of the series is the grabber and grace, uh, because Jacob was the grabber. He got his, but God's grace invaded his life and ended up changing him and making him new, and it's a really beautiful thing to watch. So go ahead and stand up. Uh, we're going to close with one last song. Oh, I preach short today. You're welcome. Don't thank me on the way out. So I just realized it's only 1050. I'm going to talk more. No, no, no. All right. Uh, Happy New Year if I don't see you uh, next Sunday. God bless you guys and uh, have a great week ahead.